Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free and independent educational resource, you can support the show by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Lars, Hazel, and David for their recent contributions. If you'd prefer to make a one-time donation, you can do that by going to paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Okay, I don't have much housekeeping to take care of today, so let's get right on to today's episode on the etymology of average, part one in a new series on math terms. Before we get into average's very unaverage etymological history, let's consider what this word means today. In math, an average is calculated by adding up a set of quantities and then dividing the sum of those quantities by the total number of quantities. So if we want the average of 3, 5, and 10, we add up those numbers to get 18 and then divide by 3, since we're dealing with three numbers, to get an average of 6. Most of us, even those of us who aren't particularly good at math, like me, know how to do this. Average is another way of saying arithmetic mean, which sounds fancy, but refers to the same exact thing. But when most of us use the word average in an everyday sense, we're not talking about an arithmetic mean, strictly speaking. If I say, he's an average guy, or today is an average day, the word average in these examples means ordinary, common, or normal. Average could even have a negative connotation implying qualities like unremarkable or uninteresting. Now, there is a connection between these two distinct senses of the word average. Again, average is the word that lay people use to refer to an arithmetic mean, which is when you add up a set of quantities and divide the sum of those quantities by the number of quantities. There's a mathematical concept that's very similar to arithmetic mean called mode. A mode is the number that appears most frequently in a set of numbers. So if you have 1, 2, 2, 2, 2, 1, 3, 2, 2, the mode is 2. In a colloquial context, a mathematical mode is also often referred to as an average. Both the mean and the mode represent the central tendency of a set. But whereas a mean is a strictly quantitative metric, a mode can be used as a qualitative metric. So if your typical week consists of six good days and one bad day, the mode of your week is good. If your typical week consists of five good days and two excellent days, the mode of your week is still good. On a scale from absolutely terrible to total nirvana, most days for most people fall in the middle of that scale. Not terrible, not excellent, just good. The frequency of this statistic and its placement in the middle of the qualitative spectrum between terrible and excellent contribute to the colloquial sense of average meaning ordinary and unremarkable. From a mathematical point of view, this colloquial sense of average corresponds more closely to a mode than a mean. But this doesn't mean that the sense of average referring to an arithmetic mean is restricted to serious mathematicians. 
batting averages, average temperatures, and average test scores are just a few everyday examples where the word average does indeed refer to an arithmetic mean. Hopefully I haven't overextended on an explanation of the obvious here, and that was somewhat insightful, or at the very least contextually helpful. That said, let's now have a look at the word's actual etymology. Since the colloquial sense of average, meaning ordinary, derives from an extension of its mathematical sense and not vice versa, you'd think that the word ultimately has a math-adjacent etymology, right? The ancient Greeks pioneered Western mathematics, so it probably has an ancient Greek root, right? As it turns out, no and no. The best guess among etymologists is that average derives from the Arabic word awar, which means defect, blemish, or something that's been damaged. Awar itself ultimately derives from the Arabic verb awira, which means to lose an eye. Now, there's not a unanimous consensus on this derivation among etymologists, but this is certainly the most popular etymology and, in my humble estimation, the most convincing. Given the popularity of this theory and the availability of evidence to support it, however strange it might seem at a glance, I'm going to present it to you as if it is indeed true, but just keep in mind that it is just a theory. Even if future research overturns the ultimate derivation of average from awar, keep in mind that that doesn't change the semantic evolution of the word once it was borrowed into English, which of course is something that we'll be discussing as well. Okay, so during the early medieval period, the city of Genoa, which is located in the northwest of modern Italy, began expanding into a maritime republic. It had colonies across the Mediterranean and Black Seas, and as a result, it controlled much of the sea trade that took place between Europe and Western Asia. Also as a result, maritime Genoese merchants came into contact with merchants from other cultures who spoke foreign languages, and in addition to exchanging goods, these merchants also exchanged words, resulting in a flow of linguistic borrowings in both directions. The earliest attestation of the Latin word avaria, from which we get the modern English average, appears in an accounting book from a mid-12th century Genoese seaport, and it refers to a damage, loss, or non-normal expense arising in connection with maritime trading. This could refer to parts of the ship breaking, loss of goods thrown overboard in order to make a ship lighter during a bad storm, and so on. Now, by the 12th century CE, Latin had over a millennium of written history under its belt, so the fact that avaria doesn't appear in the written record until this very late point in the language's history suggests that the word likely is a borrowing from an external source. Considering that, one, its earliest attestation is in a record book from a Genoese seaport from the 12th century, and two, that Genoese traders were indeed doing business with Arabic-speaking traders during that time period, and three, many Arabic words entered Latin during the 11th and 12th centuries through sea trade, etymologists have proposed that avaria is a Latinized borrowing of the Arabic word awar, which, as I mentioned earlier, means something like defect, blemish, flaw, or damaged goods. On counts of both chronology and semantics, this connection would seem to make sense.
you'll notice that I'm pronouncing the Latinized form of awar with a v sound, avaria. Now, that word, avaria, is spelled A-V-A-R-I-A, but in classical Latin phonology, which is the Latin phonology most frequently taught and learned, consonantal V is pronounced with a w sound akin to the sound of English W. However, the historical moment we're discussing takes place in the 12th century CE, which is well beyond the period of classical Latin. The Latin that was used during the medieval period is aptly known as medieval Latin, and some of its linguistic features differed from its classical predecessor. One of these features was pronunciation, including the shift in the pronunciation of the consonantal V sound from W to V. Due to the absence of the W sound in medieval Latin phonology, when the Arabic word awar was borrowed in the 12th century, its W was converted to a V sound. Over the next century, the word avaria, referring to damages in connection with trade by sea, appears in other Latin documents in the European cities of Marseille and Barcelona, both of which are coastal port cities. By the 13th century, it appears in Latin documents in Florence, which is not a coastal port city, suggesting that the meaning of avaria was extending beyond its strictly maritime context and into the semantic realm of damage, generally speaking. Indeed, in the 15th century, French and Italian derivatives of avaria first appear in the written record with meanings denoting damage or brokenness. Subsequently, cognates of avaria spread widely throughout Europe. While some of these cognates have fallen out of usage, languages ranging from German to Russian to Portuguese to Greek at one point all possessed derivatives of this Latin root avaria, and all of these words referred to some kind of damage. Except in English, though English did initially have this sense related to damage as well. In the late 15th century, the English written record attests the archaic form avare, with the modern form average appearing shortly after in the early 16th century. This shift in ending from A-Y to A-G-E may possibly be due to the semantic similarity between the original sense of average and the older English word damage. Average's semantic shift from damage to arithmetic mean began to take place in the mid-18th century. To understand how this happened, we need to return to the original maritime sense of avaria in Latin, that being damage, loss, or a non-normal expense arising in connection with a merchant sea voyage. In some European languages, derivatives of the Latin avaria retained that original maritime meaning in addition to being a generic word for damage, and English was one of those languages. In English, average also acquired other related senses having to do with sea trade expenses. Let me share the definition of average contained in Blount's Dictionary from 1707, about five decades before the more familiar mathematical sense first emerges. Quote, 1. The general allowance made to a master of a ship, or 2. An allowance to him on special occasions when he sustains damage which is equally divided upon all his freight and paid by each merchant according to his cargo, or 3. 
the contribution that several insurers pay to make good the loss of goods cast overboard which are by them insured. End quote. The definition that interests us here is the second one. This second definition basically describes a maritime shipping policy called the Law of General Average. For the non-commercial sailors among us, let me explain. Let's say you're in the chickpea business, and you're shipping boxes of dried chickpeas across the Mediterranean. Naturally, the ship carrying your chickpeas will also be carrying other merchants' goods that are bound for the same destination. Now let's say, two days into the voyage, a violent storm erupts, and in order to lighten the weight of the ship and prevent it from capsizing in the storm, the sailors need to toss ten boxes of goods overboard. The ten boxes that the sailors on board choose just so happen to be yours, which is really bad luck because not only have you lost your goods, which cost you time and money to produce, but now you can't sell those goods for a profit, right? Well, yes to the second point, and no to the first point. According to the law of general average, in emergency circumstances such as a bad storm, Maritime shippers are allowed to jettison goods off a ship at no financial loss to the owner of those goods. Rather, all stakeholders in the cargo and carrier are legally required to share in the cost of jettison goods equally, because jettisoning those goods is actually saving the entire voyage. It's kind of like a form of insurance that you only have to pay unless something goes wrong. For the record, English merchants didn't invent this policy. The earliest surviving record of the Law of General Average dates back to the ancient Greek Maritime Code of Rhodes from roughly 800 BCE, though they obviously didn't call it by the English phrase Law of General Average. Anyway, back to the chickpeas. Let's say your 10 boxes of jettisoned chickpeas were worth $100 each. That's a total loss of $1,000 to you. If there are nine other merchants shipping goods and one owner of the ship, that's a total of ten financial stakeholders in the voyage. So in order to distribute the loss equally among all parties, $1,000 divided by ten stakeholders equals $100 paid by each stakeholder to you, the person whose chickpeas got thrown overboard. Keep in mind that in the phrase law of general average, Average is actually being used in its older sense, meaning damage. Indeed, the phrase law of general damage would be just as applicable. But within this context of general average, the seeds to semantic change were sown. The law of general average is determined by the calculation of an arithmetic mean, which, of course, is the primary sense of the word average today. In the mid-18th century, British professionals outside of the maritime shipping industry, such as insurers and creditors, began borrowing the term average from the law of general average and used it to describe all kinds of losses spread out across assets in a mean, or average, proportion. Here, there is still a connection to that original Latin sense of avaria, meaning damage, because the word is still being used in the context of loss, albeit a financial loss. But over time, a short amount of time actually, the association of the word shifted away from damage or loss and toward the math behind how that damage or loss was being calculated. 
By 1755, we have the first attestation of the word being used in a purely mathematical context, divorced from any calculation of damages. We could wrap up our story here, but in the spirit of thoroughness and our love for the obscure here at Words for Granted, I want to briefly mention an archaic homophone of average. Already considered an archaic word by the late 17th century, having appeared in a contemporary dictionary volume entitled A Collection of English Words Not Generally Used, this homophonous sense of average is defined in that text as, quote, the breaking of cornfields or the beasts which tenants and vassals were to provide their lords for certain services, end quote. The breaking of cornfields sounds vague, but based on my research, what I think that refers to is the residue of field crops remaining after the main harvest that was fed to labor animals, aka beasts of burden. This sense of average ultimately derives from the classical Latin word aweria, meaning beast of burden or cattle. This word is spelled quite similarly to the medieval Latin word avaria, A-V-E-R-I-A versus A-V-A-R-I-A, respectively. But if the story I've told in this episode is indeed correct, that's just a coincidence. Earlier, when I warned that etymologists are not in full agreement on the ultimate derivation of average from the Arabic word awar, the potential genetic relationship between the classical Latin awaria and the medieval Latin Avaria is one source of fodder for this uncertainty. The full definition of average in a collection of English words not generally used, which again is from the late 17th century, alludes to this alternative theory. The full definition reads, quote, Average, the breaking of cornfields. Average in law signifies either the beasts which tenants and vassals were to provide their lords for certain services, or that money that was laid out by merchants to repair the losses suffered by shipwreck. And so it is deduced from the old word aver, signifying a laboring beast, or averia, signifying goods or chattels, from the French avoir, to have or possess. But in the sense we have used it, it may come from Haver, signifying oats, or from Averia, beasts, being as much feeding for cattle. Pasturage. End quote. If you're thinking to yourself, man, early modern English prose can be very hard to parse, I'm with you. Basically, what this definition is suggesting, without much in the way of elaboration, is that the sense of average referring to financial losses at sea is connected to the sense of average referring to laboring beasts. Because, well, I'm not exactly sure. Because both goods and domesticated animals are possessions? Possibly, but I find that connection a bit weak. There's not really a clear trail of breadcrumbs available to us that shows how a word for beasts of burden might have led us into this new semantic territory, meaning damage. All right, that's it for this one, guys. I hope you loved it. Again, if you love the show, I encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And again, if you want to support my research and regular output of content, 
you can become a monthly contributor at patreon.com slash words for granted. Or you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. If you want to sign up for my newsletter that shares articles, lightning round etymologies, book recommendations, and more, that's at wordsforgranted.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save